Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's lesson is continuing with our study on the names of God. The one he highlighted and pointed out for us to look at this week is El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty. You could say Almighty God, but when you read it in the, the biblical text, usually it says God Almighty or Almighty God, but it's the same either way. In this context, El is translated as God. We've talked about that before. The word El doesn't have to denote God. It can just be the leader or the head of, um, like we've said, the, the father is the, the head of the family or the El, or a mayor is the El of a town or or the pastor is the L of a church. It means chief leader or head, but it can reference God because he is the chief leader and head of everything. So you just have to get it in context. Um, and Shaddai translates to almighty, but we hear that word almighty and we just take it as a face value. But if I would ask you, what does almighty mean? What does almighty mean? It means he that possesses all of the might. It's literally almighty. He who possesses all of the might or the strength or the ability. So I think taking it more into that context gives it a little bit more meaning for us that he is the God who possesses all of the might, all of the strength, all of the ability. The translation of the Hebrew word Shaddai can be almighty, sufficient, beyond capable, most powerful. It is used in connection with God's generational promises or covenants and is used in reference to God having power over the womb since this name was often used when the promises of anointed children were given by God, those that would sit on thrones with purposes in God's kingdom. We'll see this theme come up over and over again as we read a few passages where the name is used, even though that's not really denoted in the name. The fact that so many times when the name is used and the first time that it's used, it's usually used in that reference, then it, it denotes that ability in there. So for our opening text, we want to go to Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. This is the first time that we see the name El Shaddai come up in Scripture. You know, we love to use the name, you know, we hear this, God is the great I am, I am, I am, I am. But all through scripture, you will hear him say things like, I am your shepherd, the Lord your shepherd. I am the Lord your provider. And in this case, I am the Lord God Almighty. So I am encompasses all that he is, but then we break it down to these attributes. So starting in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. We read, and when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, so when he was 99, and said unto him, and here is the name, I am the Almighty God. In the original text, it would have said El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. That's where the name El Shaddai comes from. Translates to, I am the Almighty God. And he tells Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. That word perfect could be translated from the original Hebrew to spotless or blameless or uh, holy or abstaining from sin. 
In other words, obey me. And if you do this, then I will make a covenant between me and thee, and when will multiply thee exceedingly. So again, when he first introduces himself as the Lord God Almighty, it's connected to covenant promises and the promise of uh, children. Said he will multiply him exceedingly. All powerful to fulfill his covenant and to begin it with a child promised to a man who had no children. So what was Abraham's response to God as El Shaddai? Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, because his name was originally Abram, but thy name shall be called now Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So this is the first time we see God introduce himself as the Lord God Almighty. And it's also the first time that we see him change Abram's name to Abraham. Abram, his original name, meant exalted father. All right? But he wasn't even a father. His name was a reminder of all that he wasn't. He couldn't even live up to the name that his earthly father had gave him in his own strength. Yet El Shaddai comes and changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and gives him a covenant promise that's impossible, but God is all-sufficient. Almighty mean, is part of the definition is all-sufficient. He is unmatchable. He is almighty in power, and he is able to make it happen. So Abraham, in and of himself, couldn't even live up to the name that his earthly father gave him. His heavenly father gives him a greater name and says, I am sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I will help you. This will happen. The first name meant a respected and honored father of one family, and he couldn't even do that. El Shaddai says, I'll make you a respected and honored father of many families, peoples, congregations, and nations, and actually does it. El Shaddai is faithful to his promises. The Almighty God has the unlimited, unimaginable, unmatchable power to change who you were to who you were meant to be. He shifts you into destiny. It wasn't Abraham that did it. It was God. Part of being, yay, yeah, amen. <laughs> you say yay. 
Part of being the all-sufficient, almighty God encompasses the fact that he does not need our help to accomplish his promises. He told Abraham to remain unblemished or sinless, which he did not do. But when he didn't, he did repent and kept listening to God and his instructions. He told Abraham to remain unblemished. Now, the thing with Abraham, it says in the New Testament that he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. When God spoke, he listened. Abraham did mess up, but he always repented. He always went back to do what God said to do. He still continued to listen. And it's the same for us. It's when you stop listening and try to do things your own way and keep going your own direction, you get off the straight and narrow. If you get off the straight and narrow, but you listen to him and how to get back on it, then you continue back onto the path of righteousness. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish it. But as we know throughout scripture, abstaining from sin, it helps us and it helps those around us because sin is selfish. So there's a reason he tells us to do these things. Let's look at Abraham and Sarah, because from the beginning, God introduced himself as the all-sufficient, almighty God, which means he was fully capable of doing what he said he would do. But we know that throughout Abraham's life, the times that he did mess up were the times that he tried to help God to achieve the promises. And I say we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah because they are both guilty of this. So Abraham's mistakes. Where do you think Abraham's mistakes started? We look at it and we say, okay, it was the, the Hagar situation. Really, their mistakes started back when they decided to go to Egypt because there was a famine in the land where they were. And if God is all-sufficient, almighty, all-powerful and capable of fulfilling his promises, then what do you have to worry about in a famine? But Abraham, you know, I, I, I'm going to be a father of many nations. We probably should, should go and make sure we make it. Let's go to Egypt where things are easy and plentiful. Never go to Egypt for help. They go to Egypt. God never told them to go to Egypt. They didn't seek the Lord. He later builds an altar and repents. He, you know, this is all corrected later, but it still causes problems. They go to Egypt. He had the promise. We know God would have provided the provision to accomplish it without looking for help in Egypt. So what did he get in Egypt? He goes for provision. What does he get in Egypt? He gets Hagar in Egypt. The problem started way back. We're going to help God to achieve this promise. We're going to go where we think that there is provision. We're going to do what we think is necessary to guard the promise. We're going to go to Egypt. They got Hagar in Egypt. In Egypt, they had the issue with the Pharaoh, where he lied to Pharaoh, but kind of not really. Uh, he gives Sarah bad counsel, and she listens. He tells her, you know, tell her you're my sister, and causes a little bit of problems. We know the story. So he gives Sarah bad counsel and she listens. Later she takes the promise into her own hands and gives him bad counsel and he listens. What goes around comes around. It's really both of them. They both took turns trying to take the promise into their own hands. His bad counsel supplied her bad counsel. 
because in his bad counsel, he told her to go into Egypt and pretend to be his sister. And it was in all of that when she was in the courts of Pharaoh that they gave her Hagar, that she gets Hagar to be her handmaiden. So his bad counsel supplies her bad counsel because later she gives him Hagar to wife. So they're both guilty in it. So let's trace it down. Ishmael comes from Hagar, Sarah's idea. Hagar comes from Egypt, Abraham's idea. Egypt comes from not seeking and trusting God's ideas. They forgot for a moment that he was El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the Almighty, but only to the surrendered soul who knows that they aren't. He is the all-sufficient, but only to the soul that know that they aren't. He is exceedingly abundantly beyond capable, but only to the ones who know that they aren't. He is the all-powerful supplier and fulfiller of our promises, but only to those who know that they can't attain it or make it happen. He is the strength in our weakness, the miracle worker, the one who brings nations from barren wombs. And all he asks you to do is to cut away the flesh and trust in his promises. The conditions that he gave Abraham to this covenant were Abraham's part was the circumcision and to keep faith in the covenant. Now, Abraham and them had it kind of rough because they were all full grown and they all had him and all of the men of his camp had to be circumcised. So that was a sacrifice. That was an act of faith. Yeah, he was like 80 something years old at this point. So that was an act of faith. He did his little small part thing, which was a big thing to him, but a small thing compared to the scope of what God was going to do in his part. But for us in the New Testament, it says that we have a circumcision of the heart. And we do have to have that circumcision to maintain our covenant, just like they did. It says that if they refused um, circumcision, it broke the covenant. If we refuse to be circumcised of heart, it breaks the covenant. You've got to be willing to cut away the flesh and keep your faith in the covenant promises. So I want you to think for a minute of the process that led them from trusting Egypt instead of God's plan, or Egypt to help them to fulfill God's plan, all the way through to Hagar and to Ishmael. And then finally, when they trusted God to do it and to bring Isaac himself, as we read this passage in James. Go ahead and pull James 1.14. We read it just a few weeks ago in Sunday school. But I think it kind of illustrates it very well when you look at the thought process of, oh, I'm going to help God. I'm going to do this. It makes sense. I'm going to trust in myself and my flesh. Let's go to Egypt. And then as they began to move to Egypt and then they pick up Hagar and then they start getting ideas and then they conceive Ishmael. And then Ishmael, to this day, the descendants are still bringing death and destruction and sin into the world because of the conflict that has been brought up between the descendants of Abraham, sin has entered in and brought death because in the end, sin always is finished in death and destruction. Think of that process when you read what James said in chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. They were enticed by Egypt, but they were drawn there by their own lust and decision to go. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. 
Ishmael, and all of the consequences after it. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There are still wars being fought over this mistake. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Isaac, and all that comes from that. And cometh down from the father of lights and from Isaac and, and all of the descendants, we get Christ and then we get all the way through to the end to New Jerusalem. These good things come from the father above in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. God never shifted. God never changed his idea. God never changed his plan. What he said from the beginning, he was going to do it. It's them that kept shifting and looking for another way to do it. We've, we say it all the time. God is persistent and consistent. He doesn't change the counsel of the flesh or of the enemy. Is wishy-washy. Sarah said, take Hagar, have a child. Sarah said, get rid of Hagar, get rid of the child. God's counsel stayed the same. Later in the story, a little bit after this, without reading through all of it, God comes down when he makes the covenant with Abraham. And um, we've talked about it before. There was a ritual at the time of covenant making where they took uh, certain animals and divided them in half, putting one animal on each side and letting the blood run through the middle. And then they would walk through it and make their covenant and say basically implying and agreeing that if they broke the covenant, then they would become like these animals. But when you read it, you realize that God's the only one that actually walked through the blood. So when the covenant was made, he did give conditions he, for Abraham, it was circumcision and obeying the covenant. But for breaking it, he's the only one who took the conditions for the punishment. And, of course, we know that Jesus was sacrificed like those animals. God honors it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Thy will be done. And it says that God strengthened him in that moment because it was in this moment that Jesus was going to have to fulfill the terms of that covenant. The same Hebrew word used for strength is used for might. All of the might of the Almighty was placed on Jesus that night so that all of the sins of the sinful could be placed on him the next day when he would pay the price for all the times that we break covenant while at the same time fulfilling it in every facet. Again, the name El Shaddai shows up when speaking to Joseph of God's promises to him and his lineage. We're not going to go too deep into it, but I'm going to read it because we see how the name El Shaddai keeps coming up in, co in correlation to these covenant promises. And it's to remind us that he has all of the might to fulfill the covenants and the promises. And it usually has to do with lineage too, because we have to have faith in him to do what we cannot do. You can't put your hands in something that is bigger than you and your generation. You have to believe it by faith. You have to take it by faith. And when people take the reins of something from God, it's usually because they're trying to build something for them right now, something that they can walk in. But what God does is bigger than us. He works through more than one person. He works through a body so that no one person can take credit. And he works through generations so that no one generation can take credit. We have to understand that it is bigger because he is bigger and he's trying to show us how mighty he is. For Joseph, it said it was the promise given or the prophecy given 
to Joseph by his dad as he was uh, on his deathbed. It says, Joseph is a faithful branch, even a fruitful branch by a well whose branches run over the wall. The orchards have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the Almighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, the original Hebrew would have said the El Shaddai, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, and blessings of the breast and of the womb. It's all there. Everything that we need is in God. He will sustain his children. And so again, even in this promise to Joseph, he's talking about the Almighty, and it says the blessings, and it blesses the womb, and it blesses all that is needed to bring forth these generational things. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of thy progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. And again, we see in Psalms 132, when God is talking to David of his promises and of his lineage, the name comes up again. Go ahead and pull up Psalms 132, start in verse 1. I'm going to just read it from the board. So the name was used for Abraham, it's used for Joseph, and now it's being used for David. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the Almighty God of Jacob. That's El Shaddai. Sometimes El Shaddai is also referred to as the God of Jacob because of this passage. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up unto my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob, for the almighty God. And I love this thing that David points out because David loved the presence of God. He loved the house of God. And we look at the El Shaddai as the one who is all-powerful and all-sufficient. He has everything. But David points out the one thing that he wants and is looking for, the one thing that we can provide for him, the only thing, the habitation. He says, I will search for the habitation. Lo, we heard of it at Ifrat. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into the rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Strength again and might is the same word. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Again, see the El Shaddai in correlation to generational promises and the children. He's promising David that from him there will be 
those that will be set upon the throne. Now, this implies his direct sons, but also Christ eventually through that bloodline. Generational promises through, through the bloodline. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forever. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. I like that chapter. It expresses the power of the Almighty to do what needs to be done not only for David, but for the generations. All of these men, however, from Abraham to Joseph to David, got off track when they tried to take matters into their own hands because they lost sight of this attribute of who God is for a moment. But they all repented, and God was sufficient enough to achieve his promises regardless. That's who El Shaddai is to us. The one who possesses all of the might, all of the strength, all of the ability, the Almighty God. God chooses those to steward revival who have learned to keep their hands off of the steering wheel and let God lead. Yet every revival in history was eventually wrecked by someone who jumped into the driver's seat and took the wheel from both God and the one that he had chosen to steward it. And through humility, that person usually let it happen. So ministers take this to heart. It's not enough to just learn to trust God to be El Shaddai, to keep your hands off of the steering wheel. You have to also guard the wheel from the immature that don't know that they don't know and want to take control. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. And this is our last passage. It's not going to be very long tonight because I think we get the point of the message is that El Shaddai is the God who is sufficient and fully capable and able to achieve his promises. And usually the things that mess it up or slow it down is when we try to put our hands in it and make it happen because we end up taking it off track. I used to say, because I could see the pattern in my life and in other people's lives, is that you know God had a plan for you and you'd be going a certain direction and, and things would start moving and then all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, here, let me help you, let me help you. You put your hands on the wheel, he takes his off because it's not his will anymore. You put your hands to it. He can't endorse it. So his hands are off, he waits for you to wreck it. Then you sit there crying for him to come and fix it. And then he does, and he starts picking up the pieces, and he starts getting you back on track again. It's his will again. He's driving you in the right direction, and then you grab the wheel again. Here, let me help you. Let me help you. And then you wreck it again until finally, hopefully, you learn to keep your hands off the wheel. Some never do. Paul says this, For though I would desire to glory, now we know all of the miraculous, wonderful, mighty things that God did through Paul, 
And Paul says, though I would desire to glory, to boast, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he saith unto me, My grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word strength is might. The might of the Almighty is made perfect in the weakness of the humble servant. That's why he chooses the least of these. So that his might, his sufficiency, his ability can be made manifest and no man gets glory for it. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood the mistakes that Abraham had made. He wasn't about to think for a minute that he could do it. And he said that he was glad for the infirmities and frailties that he had, that he could boast and point those things out so that others could see that it was God. Because he said, the more I let people know how weak I am and how infirm and how impossible it is for me to do these things, the more I trust that the power of Christ will be laid upon me. Because the moment you try to take glory, the glory departs. That's El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the one who is able abundantly above and beyond to do anything we hope or imagine. When he gives those promises, he is capable and able to fulfill them as long as we don't try to make it happen ourselves and mess it up. But also when we don't glory or take credit for it or try to receive uh, the attention of men. Because if you do, it will depart. And anyone who's still operating in any gifting in that spirit, it's not coming from El Shaddai because he won't share his glory with another. He's the only one that can do it. And we've got 7,000 years of history to prove it. If you believe it, he will be El Shaddai for you. But if you think that you are sufficient, that your talent is sufficient, that your gifts are sufficient, that your ideas are understanding or sufficient. He won't be El Shaddai for you. He is El Shaddai for those who know that they need him. So Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you for this reminder that nothing is too hard for you and that what you do is for your glory and not for the glory of men. Though you do choose to use men, you choose to use those humble servants who know that they need you and are willing to glory only in their infirmities that you might be glorified for all that you do, that you can move mightily in spite of who we are. God, we give you praise that you are full of all might and strength and ability and that in our weakness that is manifested. Lord, that in the lack of education, 
the Pharisees could look at the disciples and apostles and be marveled and say, these men must have been with Jesus because they knew that they were uneducated, but yet they spoke so boldly because of the anointing that broke the yokes of bondage, because of your power manifested on us and in us and through us doing your works that are bigger than us that we couldn't even begin to piece together or understand completely if we wanted to, Lord. You are all sufficient. You are full of might and abundant power and grace, and it is enough for whatever it is that you have promised us to achieve it. We are fully persuaded that you will finish everything that you started. And Lord, today we ask that you would redeem the time for any times we put our hands to the wheel or thought we had it figured out or ran out uh, without your insight or instruction like Abraham did when he went to Egypt. Lord, we pray that your mercy would be poured out and it would negate any of the, the bad effects that might reverberate out from that, Lord. We pray for forgiveness and for mercy for any time that this has ever happened in our lives. And we pray for wisdom and patience to see when the enemy is trying to tempt us to do it again, that we never repeat these mistakes, that we remember every day that you are El Shaddai, full of might and power and all sufficient to complete your promises, that you will accomplish it. We just keep praying and praising and proclaiming and standing in faith on what you are saying, and you will do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.